there, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this is the Gem Jam, where we do an episode-by-episode recap of the 1980s cartoon Gem and the Holograms, because it is truly outrageous. And this time, it is totally going Hollywood. This is a Season 2, Episode 26, Hollywood Gem Part 1, for your consideration, a.k.a. by our count, Episode 52. It's written by Roger Slifer. So, you know, buckle up. Some high-quality garbage from Slifer. It was weird that this is not going to be written by Christy Marks, but I gotta say, with this kind of nonsense that we have in these two episodes, I am totally comfortable being in Slifer's hands for this. Shall we get into this? Yes, let's. Okay, everybody shut up. Lindsay's show isn't on, which is weird. But the Academy Award nominations are. Because that's something that gets announced on the evening news. Best part is that it looks like the local news, too, which I guess if you're living in Los Angeles, that kind of would be. But hmm. also, because apparently we never break kayfabe, Jerrica is nominated as Jem for Best Actress in a Motion Picture, and she only finds out about it by watching the news. They didn't inform her beforehand. Also, can you do that if you don't even have a real name to go off of? Like, do we know if Synergy fabricated, like, a social security ID for Jim? I don't think you need a social security number to win an Oscar. I'm gonna be real with you here. I feel like you at least need to have some sort of confirmed mailing address. She does. She has her own room in Starlight Mansion. Now, the other important thing here is because she's being nominated as Best Actress for Starbright, it can't have been more than a year since Starbright was released. Everything in the show since the Starbright arc has happened in under a year. Let's remind everyone that that movie came out in episode 8, and this is episode 52. Jem must be a causality sink. Things keep happening to her every single day of her life. So the next immediate scene, like zero transition whatsoever, is the Harriet Horn show. We do have like five seconds of transition in that we get like a spinning newspaper headline. We see Jim sitting on the Harriet Horn show with, along with three other actresses nominated. All delightful actresses, in fact. Let's run down our names here. Sigourney Reaver. Real person. Meryl Saint. Also definitely a real person. Real name. And Geraldine Pathos. That's Geraldine Page. We're deliberately pointing out that this is Geraldine Page because she died a while ago. In fact, I think she died the year this episode came out. So a lot of our listeners may not know who that is. Let's keep in mind that we have also name dropped Michael Jackson in this show. So is there also a Sigourney Weaver and a Meryl Streep and a Geraldine Page in this world? What's really hilarious about Sigourney Reaver is that we've already had a Sigourney Weaver sound-alike in a previous episode. I think it was One Gem Too Many, where it was Sigourney Loomis or something like that. So we've actually got potentially three different Sigourney Weavers wandering around this universe. Like, that's a lot of movies that I will go see at any time. Anyway, Geraldine Pathos decides to start a fight with Jem over the fact that Jem never went to drama school. You know, that's kind of a catty thing to do. But also, first off, Jem has been in a crappy low-budget movie. She's the most famous pop star in the entire world. And she's just, where did you study? It's like, oh, I don't know. I just sort of acted. And Geraldine is like, no, no, no. Excuse me, no, goodbye. I can see where this is going. This is too silly. Geraldine out. I'm pretty sure Jem is not the only Best Actress nominee who's never gone to drama school or studied acting at all. So we established that this is going to be the 60th Annual Academy Awards. I looked up the winners for Best Actress that year. Cher. Cher won an Oscar for Best Actress for Moonstruck. She was up against Glenn Close and Meryl Streep, among other actresses. And right as they're about to fight, Harriet's like, well, that's the entire show. Good night. We had 20 seconds of airtime. We're sponsored by Cool Trash Magazine. Good night, folks. And then we get the most amazing Cool Trash Magazine ad. 
which is just little puppets of Jim and Geraldine Pathos hitting each other over the head with baseball bats. It's like Punch and Judy meets Rock'em Sock'em Robots, and I love it. And then we cut away and find out that that ad has been airing for, quote, weeks. Oh my gosh, they've spent how much money on this? I'm so happy. Jem starts having this, like, existential crisis. Kimber reassures her, well, it's not personal. It's just Cool Trash Magazine. Jem's like, it's personal for Geraldine Pathos. She starts having this, like, crisis of identity about what everybody thinks about her. Just remember this because it will not last long. Shall we jump on the train to Healingville? Let's do it. Bonnie shows up, says, hey, you've got a visitor. And it's the Countess de Busan, who we haven't seen for, like, 40 episodes. Where has she been? She's ostensibly the next door neighbor. She lives next door to them and she's never popped by. She's just like, hello, I am a freaking French nobility. How are you? Maybe I'm from Belgium. I don't know. I'm the Countess de Vaussin. Nobody knows my deal. Anyway, Howard Sands, who we thought had been replaced by David Xanatos. Howard Sands is back and he needs your help. He needs your help because he's now directing movies. I don't think we've seen Howard Sands since like Jem was doing that photo book. Yeah. Here we are. It's an all-star freaking lineup today. Come to the movie studio. I'm not going to tell you what for. It's not like it's a really long drive or anything. Don't worry about it. No. They just drive in complete silence. So we get to the movie studio and it turns out Howard Sands just has his head in his hands because the sci-fi movie that he's working on is not working. The lead actress refuses to star opposite a computer. Specifically, she refuses to star opposite Max Headroom. I don't think she fully understands there's a people in there. I think she genuinely thinks thinks that they programmed a computer to be her co-star. I mean, to be fair, we do have Jerrica and Kimber's dad out there programming Synergy solely so she can serve as a companion to his girls and help them be rock stars. Except the fact that he's apparently a people in the rest of the movie, like he's only a computer in this one scene. Right. First off, the Countess just shoves Jem at Howard and is like, she's here to be in the movie. I'm what? Can I, can I like see a copy of the script? Maybe a, maybe a log line or a, or a treatment maybe? So they hand her the entire script. She goes off into the corner to read it. Meanwhile, Kimber goes up to Mac's headroom. It's like, hey, I recognize you. And who steps up from behind the computer? But Sean Harrison, quote unquote, teen, quote unquote, idol. Can't my favorite lady recognize me without my gorgeous body? Oh, I've forgotten how much I hate him. Oh my god. It turns out he's not only the co-star, like the leading man, but he's also the chief lyricist for what is ostensibly a rock musical. The best part is that we find out from a slate later that this movie is called Future Rock. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And Kimber's like, oh, Sean, I'm so glad to see you. Let me know if you need help with those lyrics. And Sean's like, did I hear you volunteering to not be paid to help me with these lyrics? Me favorite lady. Jem, meanwhile, on the corner has flipped through exactly two pages of the script. And she's like, this is the best movie I've ever read. Yes, I will star in it. I am immediately over my existential crisis. I can't worry about what people will think of me. I'm going to be in this movie. And Rhea's like, oh, Jem, this is so great. You're an Academy Award nominee and you're in a new movie. You know who you are? No, you're your Hollywood gem. Cue music. It's an entire music video of Jem being, look at my glamorous life now that I'm an actress. This is all the same stuff I was doing before, except now I'm an actress. Yeah, there's a line where it's like, I go to Malibu and I also go along Rodeo Drive. You did this anyway. You live there. 
You live in Beverly Hills. I'm also fascinated by the song because I kind of like it. And I think what it is is that it's a very self-important song. Like usually hologram songs are about love and togetherness and being with Rio and happy endings. And this one, the lyrics just read like a misfit song. It's just like, everybody shut up and look at me. I'm so awesome. There she is. Look alive. Hey, it's Jim. Hollywood Jim. I also have to wonder with all these lyrics that are just like, Hollywood Gem's so great. Did Kimber just write this song as a big middle finger to Geraldine Pathos? I'm leaning towards yes. I mean, she definitely seems the one who is the most ready to just beat up a lady. Yeah, Kimber is really fighty towards Geraldine Page, more than Jeb ever is. Before we get to all that, though, we're going to switch to the sci-fi movie where Jem is being wardrobed in her own clothes. She's just wearing all her own clothes in this movie. And you know what? They fit. They fit the movie. That says something, doesn't it? It really does. Bless the 80s. And like, Jem gets a telegram? In 1988? Yeah. Was the Pony Express not available? Uh, It turns out they've been cordially invited to a party in a mansion in Beverly Hills. They've never been to this before. Never mind that their mansion that they held parties in is in Beverly Hills. They start squealing like they just got invited to go play for the President of the United States again. She gets invited to Francois Truget's house. And when she says the name Francois Truget, Kimber pipes up with the famous French director. And it's like, with a name like Francois Truget, I don't think you need to clarify that he's a French director. Also, Kimber doesn't seem like the kind of person who'd be into art house films. Not even remotely. She wanted to know if Shangri-La had all the old monkeys albums. What's great is that at the end of this scene, Kimber says outrageous. And then at the start of the next scene, Kimber says again, outrageous. Because we've arrived at Francois's mansion. And look, it's Flint Westwood and Michael J. Badger. Oh my gosh. I love that Flint Westwood perpetually, he gets like three lines in this two-parter and they're all like, so I said to him, go ahead, make my day. It's like, we know. We know what you're a reference to, Flint. Did they just think that the kiddies wouldn't quite get it? Possibly. Considering that Dirty Harry was like an R-rated movie. I mean, Michael J. Badger, though, who would probably be the most recognizable of these kids considering Back to the Future. He doesn't get a line. We don't even get to see him. No, we're like aware that there is a brown haired person somewhere in this party. And that's about it. Presumably wearing a puffy vest. One hopes. And then Jem goes to meet Francois Truget and Rio is here. Oh my God. Francois greets Jem and gives her the typical like kiss on either cheek. And Rio gets jealous about that. And is like, why do the French always have to overdo it? Rio Pacheco, the patron saint of overdoing it. Rio, Jem has traveled internationally at this point. Surely you are aware that there are different greetings and customs in other countries. Uh, but they shouldn't matter if it's a girlfriend's getting kissed by a man. In every single culture, Rio is ready to punch somebody's lights out for saying hello to his girlfriend. So Francois is like, oh, Jem, I'm worried about your movie career. You keep starring in Howard Sands movies. He's a great man, but his films are so, so popular. And then he's going on about how Jem can only win the Oscar if she proves she's a serious artist. The movie she's nominated for is already out. Yeah, what is this timeline here? Doesn't the Academy just judge by the movie? Well, I mean, ideally the Academy just judges by the movie, not just, well, who deserved to win last year? He's like, well, you should come work on my movie. We start filming immediately. And Jem's like, well, I have to finish this movie I'm on because I like made a commitment. And it feels like this should have been a crisis moment for Jem where she actually does go to work on the other movie and this is like a lesson about being lost in stardom and honoring your commitments and honoring your friends and it's it feels like that was the 
first draft of this episode, and then it got revised to hell and back because the producers didn't want Jem to do anything that was even remotely morally shady. Yeah, and that seems like a shame because Jem actually having some kind of crisis of conscience here would be nice, considering the only time that she has is when she occasionally remembers that she's dating Rio twice. Like, if Jem could just have some kind of moral failing that she bounces back from, that'd be cool. As it is, she's like the bad boy kid in a children's cartoon that can't ride his skateboard in a cool way without wearing helmets, knee pads, elbow pads, and mouth guard. And then we go to Kimber and Sean fully clothed in a hot tub. Yeah, and the best part is you think they'd be like, oh, wow, it's a funny thing. Ha 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 ha. Instead, they're sitting like as stiffly as possible. Somebody, unless that is sparkling apple juice, somebody has given Kimber alcohol and she's super not 21. Listen, it's Francois Truget's house. Anything goes. What happens at Truget's stays at Truget's? Truget's probably still in French mode where he's like, 14 year olds can drink, right? As long as you can reach over and touch the back of the bar, you can have a beer. And then Ray is like, Jem, okay, whatever about your sister drinking, whatever, come over here. Because Francois Truget, I guess word has gotten out immediately that he asked Jem to be in his movie and she said no. It's been five minutes. If that. Truget is like, oh no, Jem's far too much of a populist to be in my movie. The press is like, really? Because we heard that you desperately needed a big star for your next movie to help your box office. Truget's like, no, 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 obviously her publicity team said that. At which point, Rio happens. Rio grabs him by the lapels and he comes in and snarls his signature line. I hate liars and I hate deception so you can imagine what I think of you. And he just throws him into the pool. And Jem's just like, thanks, Rio, let's go. We should leave immediately. Rio, Rio, really good job for Jem's publicity. Great image there. In front of all of these reporters. Great job, Rio. And then as they're leaving, Truget screams the best line ever. You can't trifle with me. I am artistry incarnate. I need that tattooed on my forehead. Oh my God. I need to have a recording of that to play every time I am like slighted. Every time someone cuts in front of me in line for coffee or something. And with I am artistry incarnate, it's a commercial break. So, Memento Mori, Jem's movie career is dead. You should have bought more dolls. So, we come back from the commercial break, and Sean and Kimber are driving in a car alone off somewhere, and I saw this, and I was joking to myself, like, huh, I bet they're hated to make out point, and then they actually go to make out point. Yeah, and, like, Sean's like, well, I don't know if Shujay's gonna ruin Jem's movie career. Sorry, I have no advice for you on this front. Let's kiss. Yeah, and then we just jump right into our second song, which is called You Already Know, and it's another Gem of the Hologram song. And I kind of like it. It's got sort of this, like, Buddy Holly sound to it, and maybe that's because Sean co-wrote it. I don't know. It's very poppy and cute, yeah. Too bad it's about these two yahoos going to, like, a carnival and an arcade in their, like, white tie dress code. They're just going to the arcade in formal wear and going to the pier in formal wear and sitting on the beach watching a trash fire in formal Wear. That dress is ruined. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Actually, don't worry about it. That was all in Kimber's imagination anyway. Yeah, it's completely non-diegetic, which doesn't make any sense because we pop out of the song and we are back at makeout point. And then, oh God. So I'd known in advance that there was a bit where like somebody asks Kimber for a more solid commitment. She's like, yes, I'll marry you. But I didn't know it was in this episode. So I was completely unprepared. Oh my gosh. Sean is like, I think it's time we made more of a commitment to one another. And she's like, Yes, I'll marry you. Let's go tell Jerrica we're engaged. And then Sean's like, uh, no, I mean, I mean, well, no, actually. And also like, no. Oh, man. And Kimber like bursts into tears. And then he has to drive her home. So she's in tears the entire drive. 
drive down Makeout Point back to Starlight Mansion. Which isn't awkward at all. Not at all. And then as Kimber comes in, Jerrica is turned out as like she's waiting up for her in a robe and she's like, do you have any idea what time it is? It's three o'clock. She's Kimber's sister. What should have happened is she should have seen her sister walking crying and been like, who made you cry? I will kill him now. It's true. And not to mention, like, if your sister walks in crying, then everything that happens right there is like, okay, it's really late, but also you're crying. Mommy needs to go get her knives. But instead, Kimber's like, you're not my real mom and storms off. Oh my God. So back at the movie, it turns out we're filming a Mad Max stunt. This is right out of Fury Road. I don't understand. You have to like avoid these two guys on motorcycles and then you have to dodge under what looks like the thing the sand people take in to like sell droids to moisture farmers. It's not sand people. Jaw was whatever. I don't care. Shut up, John. Is he there right now? No, but he'll listen to it and he'll get all well, actually. I'm, I'm telling. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. I'm keeping all of this. I mean, they refer to this thing as like a semi. It's not. It's a giant Mad Max truck. The kind of thing you'd actually see the uh, the doof, the guy who plays the guitar in Fury Road would stand on. Honestly, I'm pretty sure there's a semi under there somewhere. It's just they've built a lot of other stuff on top of it. As the stuntman goes off, he looks over and he sees Kimber hanging around. And he's like, Kimber? And then he barely clears the stunt and he like semi crashes into some haystacks that they set up for this. Rio pops over and goes, I'll go check on the driver. Rio, this is not your job. You have so many things that are not your job. This is chiefly not your job. They have medics on site specifically for this eventuality. Don't go and mess with the guy who just crashed. I'm going to go move his head and make sure that he just gets comfortable. I'm going to go move everything about him. And then the stunt guy gets out of the car under his own power, which is a pretty good sign. And he pulls off his helmet and it's Jeff, the stunt guy. Jeff, whose hair was black last time we saw him for like five seconds and now it's blonde again. Presumably so that he is visually distinct from Sean because if they had the same hair color, they'd look exactly the same. Yeah, too bad he's Sean's stunt double. Uh, and Kimber goes over and gives him a huge hug and they catch up and then Sean comes over and goes like, who's this? He's like, ah, I guess I'll meet you back at the studio. And as he's walking away, Jeff is like, who's the wimpy British guy? You're his stunt double. Have you not met anyone on this movie set yet? I think you should know who the lead is there, bud. And then he's immediately like, does he mean anything to you? God, Jeff, calm down. Oh, man, no, we're just getting started. Kimber's like, uh, because that question's stupid and the relationship's complicated and just like, ugh, nothing's changed, has it, Kimber? You're still leading on half the male population. You can play with men forever. I, for one, am dropping out of the game. And then he gets in his little car and drives off. Yeah, real mature response there. Good job, buddy. Oh, my God. Welcome to Jeff. And just when you think things can't get any worse, here comes Rio. Oh, my God. And he's like, oh, Kimber. Kimber's like, I suppose you think I just got what I deserve. And Rio's like, that isn't what I was going to say. Yes, it is. Yes, it was. It was totally what you're going to say, Rio. Oh, my God. And then he just sort of stumbles in and like, well, it might be best for everyone if you decided who you cared for the most. Like you do with Jim and Jerrica, Rio? That's not like us being catty. That is an actual line that Kimber says. Burn from Kimber. Good job, Kimber. That's that's the greatest burn. And we don't even see the immediately fallout of it. That We just skip scenes after that. We don't see Rio react at all. Which is too bad because I would have loved to see the effect that had on him. This is like the first time anyone's actually called him out on this. I think it's the only time. It might be the only time. And so instead of seeing Rio take the medicine that was due to him, uh, we switch to what is apparently Sean's affordable ranch style suburban home. Where it's like this short 
pointless scene where Kimber's like, hey, Sean, I like you. And Sean's like, yeah, I like you too. Let's write lyrics. And that's the end of it, basically. And it's like these two melt toast teens hanging out, quote unquote teens. Because again, Sean looks like he's 40. As do all men on this show. There are two types of male specimen in this TV show. And that is pre-adolescent boy and 40 year old man. There's nothing in between. So we go back to the movie after that little scene and Jeff is at the very top of this huge building and he's going to jump and he's like, this is going to be awesome. And they're like, hey, maybe you should jump from the first floor instead of the hundredth floor. And he's like, nope, roll cameras and just goes for it. Oh my gosh. And as he's plummeting to his death, we get this close up of Kimber screaming and that's our commercial break. Memento Mori, we didn't make a Jeff doll, but if we did, you should have bought him. And then we come back and he lands and it turns out he's fine and Kimber's like, what's wrong with you? Are you trying to get yourself killed? And Jeff's like, what do you care? And he runs away again. Really spectacular displays of maturity from Jeff in this episode. Oh my gosh. Again, Kimber is like maybe 19. Just chill, Jeff. Jeff, have you considered taking a few minutes in the calm down corner? Then we just jump to our next song, which is Too Close, uh, another gem of the holograms. We saw this last time in Frame Up, and it's basically Jeff doing a bunch of Mad Max stunts and Kimber being terrified. Yeah, because apparently he's so distraught with Kimber that he's just throwing himself into doing ridiculously dangerous things. I'm not sure if this is like an attempt to get her attention or if he's just like borderline suicidal. And either way, for having a total of like one conversation with Kimber since you reconnected. Maybe this is overdoing it? No, you think? Kimber keeps chasing him around and like stopping reckless and then he's just like yeah and goes out to his trailer to have an orange juice. She starts asking questions and he's completely ignoring her because he is literally 12 years old and then finally says because it hurts me to see you with him. I love you Kimber. Can't you see that? Marry me. Oh my gosh. Kimber's like I do care for you but there's also Sean I just, I'm so confused. And there's a part of me that's going like, polyamory, polyamory. But no. Forget him. He doesn't care for you the way I do. Marry me. Uh. And Kimber's like, I'll think about it. You are ready to marry Sean in a hot second. I mean, I guess, again, she's had a total of one complete conversation with Sean that was about 30 seconds long. But I mean, then again, that's about enough time. For Kimber, at least. Yeah. So we get this great scene next where we go over to Starlight Mansion and Jem's practicing her lines and Kimber walks in and she's like, uh, so Jeff asked me to marry him. And Jerrica's like, you told him no, of course. Ice cold glitter burn. It's this complete flat reading. It's so good. And then we get you're not my real mom part two. I'll show you who's too immature to get married. Watch me. I'll get out from under your thumb once and for all. This freaking show. And now we go to the jewelry store. Sean goes ring shopping and he like he walks into this jewelry store and he says to the clerk, have you got something really extraordinary? This is for a very special girl. And the girl behind the counter is like, oh, thank God I can sell the gaudiest piece of crap in this entire store. And she pulls out what is basically a diamond death spike ring. Like there's a diamond spike on this thing that could kill a man. And it's definitely going to be like this perfect gray diamond. It is completely clear. It sparkles. It's got like six or seven other gigantic diamonds next to it and he's like this is extraordinary it's for a very special girl it's a very special ring i'll take it would somebody ever walk into like a jewelry shop and say i need a ring for a very average person i mean is that not the line john used 
No, see, we, we did this cool thing that all the young kids are doing, I hope, where we like saved up for a modestly priced, nice looking ring and uh, didn't go into piles of debt. That doesn't sound right. Annie, why would you do that? That sounds ridiculous. Where's the passion and all this money that we have that didn't go to buying a gaudy piece of garbage ring? And of course, the lady behind the counter, like, she's dead inside. She runs a jewelry shop in Beverly Hills. She knows that ring's getting returned in like two days. This happens all the time. She's paid on commission. She doesn't care. So we go back to the movie studio. We're shooting a new scene. And it's like, all right, Jem, this is your big scene of sorrow and anger. You've just learned that the thought police have imprisoned Sean for unauthorized authorized behavior. That is like the most generic sci-fi line I've ever heard. Well, it's okay because they're definitely not getting this film anyway. Yep, because as soon as they're rolling cameras and they've got sound and there's a lot of hot microphones around, Sean shouts across the set, Hey, Kimber! As she idles past the cameras. Like, there's a sound guy on set right now that's like, God damn it! So Sean and Kimber run over. Sean's about to start proposing to her, you can tell. And then Jeff, who has set himself up on the other side of the studio, Tarzan yells, swoops down on a rope, carries Kimber across the studio to a waterfall jungle. Meanwhile, the sound guy takes his headphones off and throws them angrily on the floor. No jury on earth would convict him. And Jeff is like, you must tell me. I cannot wait any longer. Tell me you'll marry me. And Kimber's like, you know what? Fine. Then he gives her the traditional celebratory swing over to a circus trapeze set. In full view of Sean, too, which is great. Because he sees this whole thing and she just sort of climbs down and she's like, we're engaged now. How are you? And Sean's like, oh, well, uh, obviously you were ready to get married and I wasn't. So uh, have a nice life. And I'm totally mature. And as he's walking away, you could practically hear like the piano music from the Hulk TV show. Instead of that, though, as he goes into a trailer and throws away this ring, we hear this bit from Jem's lines in the movie, which are like, murderer, you killed him. His body may still be alive, but his spirit is dead. And that's our to be continued. Oh my gosh. What a great place to break. That's our episode for this week. We recorded this once already, but unfortunately we had some technical difficulties and everybody sounded like they were coming out of like a drive through speaker. And we figured it being the season finale, we wanted to publish something that was actually like good. It seems like every single DVD or Netflix release has different episode orders. So we're just going to go ahead and lump Hollywood Gem Part 2 in with this season so we can just start off fresh with the stingers and our brand new hashtag brand of all stingers all the time. All stingers. Sting, sting, sting us. Mac is very excited. I'm super happy for the stingers. Before that, though, we'll be back next time with Hollywood Gem Part 2 and the winner is. So be sure to join us next time for that, where we have weddings, two different wedding songs, and uh, oh, just so much good stuff. Some high quality nonsense for you guys coming right up. In the meantime, the Gem Jam counts out every Sunday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and YouTube. You can find us on Twitter and Tumblr. We are at the Gem Jam just about everywhere except on Twitter where we are at Gem Jam Cast. If you like what you do and you want to give us some support, a like, rating, review, subscribe, wherever you find our podcast is always good and it makes us feel happy in our heart places. Please love us. Please love us. If you want to love us with your wallet, we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Gem Jam. So until next time, dear listeners, I'm Annie. I'm Kip. And I'm Mac. And this has been the Gem Jam, where we remind you it's easier to ask forgiveness than be outrageous.